0: Okay, Book of Genesis, Chapter 3. This should be at the very beginning of your uh, pew Bibles. And we are going to consider tonight uh, verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7. So if you are there, please stand to hear God's holy and inspired word. This is God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither you shall touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, And they knew that they were naked, and they sew, uh, sew fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Those, those part of the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, if you see in your bulletins, uh, then you will find the confessional uh, witness that we have for us tonight uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. So let me just read the question and answers that we have for us tonight. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? Answer, no. God created man good and in his own image that is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God, his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Then, where does man's corrupt nature come from? Answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we're all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to our all evil? Answer, yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. I really like the old translation that says, yes, indeed, unless we're born again by the Spirit of God. Congregation of the Lord, Uh, If you are aware of uh, the philosophical movements that we have had in the previous centuries, you will know that this 19th century was uh, a century of drift in in philosophical and theological even thinking. It was the century of thinking positively, uh, the century in which human inventions uh, will give humanity a better life, commodities, Uh, and some even dare to say that we will conquer death and we will return to paradise by the efforts of science and technology. Then, as you know, the 20th century began and two world uh, world wars broke out and all that positivism, all that faith in humanity and technology vanished entirely. And once again, people and philosophers, artists even, started to be concerned, occupy themselves with the problem of suffering and evil. Philosophers, though, instead of going back to God for the answers and the scriptures, uh, they decided to get rid entirely of God from the equation, affirming that evil, in absolute terms, is just a social construct. Something that we perceive, but that is not more powerful than a personal feeling. It's no more powerful than, I don't like that. Period. This solution, however, as you can tell, is far from satisfactory and it doesn't uh, correspond with reality. Evil is way much more than that. So, so what is the answer? And is there, better, is there an, any better answer? Well, tonight the Catechism will guide us through scriptures as we discover God's answer to the origin of sin and evil, the problem of evil indeed. So, our theme to ma- tonight is sins origin, sin's origin, and we will explore sin's origin in three parts, following the structure of the catechism. Uh, So first, human blessedness, second, human disobedience, and third, human brokenness. So human blessedness, uh, human disobedience, and finally, uh, human brokenness. So let's see the first part, human, original human blessedness. Now, if you remember two weeks ago where we were exploring the uh, Lord's Day number two of the Heidelberg Catechism, we learned that by nature, we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. Now, isn't that affirmation then something that will make us ponder or moves us to consider where does evil sin come from? Where, where all of that wickedness and hate come from? Uh, was it us? Was it someone else? Was it God, the one who created evil? Where does evil come from? And in many respects, uh, we find very naturally uh, to blame God when we see evil around ourselves. Isn't that the case? Even Adam, when he was confronted by God in the garden, he said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. As if saying, it's your fault, God, it's your fault. And that is something that we do constantly, do we not? When mom's favorite plate, boys and girls, or frame or flower pot breaks because we were doing what we are not supposed to be doing and then we are trapped, isn't it true that it's easier to blame a sibling instead of accepting responsibility? So again, our natural tendency is to blame another person, is to blame other ones. And that is what comes easy. And that tendency is reflected even tonight in in the question of the Catechism. Did God create man so perverse, so wicked? Or put it in a different way. Is it God's fault that sin and evil exist? And that may sound pretty harsh, boys and girls. uh, But many, you will find later on, will seek to affirm such a thing. Because after all, it's easy to blame God for what we do and for who we are now. Many of you will face the challenge. Maybe now, maybe later on when you go uh, to college and maybe from your friends saying that God is evil or that God is to blame for evil. And it will sound something like this. This is, by the way, David Hume's uh, use of uh, the trilema from Epicurus. If God is good... Why does evil exist? Maybe it's because God is not good. Maybe it's because God is not powerful enough. Or maybe it's because God doesn't exist. And when hearing such a things, it is very good for us, congregation of the Lord, to go to scriptures so we can answer with the truth. Listen to what the Scripture say in Genesis 1.31. And God saw that everything that he had made was very good. Very good. So we as Christians cannot accept the idea, not even the possibility, that God is guilty for sin. When He created everything, us included, He created us very, very good. In fact, 1 John 1 5 affirms that God is light, light, excuse me, and in him there is no darkness at all. So no, God is not the creator, the creator of evil, excuse me. He is a very good creator. God. And in fact, when he created us, he made us perfect. Listen again how the Heidelberg phrases that idea. God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and justice and holiness, excuse me. That is, in the garden, God made us so perfect, so good that there was nothing good lacking in us. In fact, we were made to reflect God's on image to reflect who God is. Just as he, was, as he is righteous, we were righteous. Just as he is holy, we were holy. That is what the theologians call the narrow sense of the image of God. In every respect, we reflected who God is. And for what purpose? Well, so we can know him, enjoy him, live a true happy life with him forever. Do you want to know, congregation of the Lord, what is the meaning of, the, of happiness? What is the meaning of having a happy life? Here it is. True happiness is to live before God and for God. Before God and for God. Every single day, the Lord God came down from heaven to the temple garden of Edom. And Adam and Eve were not bored with his visits. It wasn't like, oh, God again. I guess we need to worship him. Okay, let's do it. Not at all. It wasn't like that. It was the most amazing, awe-filled experience that Adam and Eve could fall, could, 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 could have. Excuse me. And the Bible doesn't say this. This is just my speculation. But maybe, maybe, after worshiping God, Adam and Eve went to snowboarding with him. Or, or, or maybe they had an amazing meal together and the most amazing conversation. I don't know. But one thing is sure. It wasn't boring. It was not boring at all. And certainly evil, sin, suffering, people doing bad things around, none of that existed from the beginning. That was not how it was meant to be. So scriptures have dispelled the first question. God is not the creator of evil. God is not the origin of sin. All that he does is good because he himself is good. But then, where does sin come from? Well, let us jump to our second point to see the answer to that question, human disobedience. Listen now how the catechism answered that question for us. It comes from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we're all conceived and born in sin. So, two things are addressed here. The first one is the origin of sin. Sin came to the world because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. That is precisely what we find in the text that we just read tonight. Everything was well in paradise, all was working perfect until the, uh, the gardener, the keeper of the garden, allowed the serpent to crawl in, that is Adam. And listen to what he says. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And every single dialogue after that first line is a subtle yet very effective attack of the serpent upon God's word in the ears and hearts of Adam and Eve. It is really true that you cannot eat anything at all, Eve, and the question sounds so absurd, right, that compels Eve to answer the question, yet at the same time moves Eve to continue communicating with the serpent. And it goes downhill from there, since there is a very subtle given in, in, Adam's, uh, in Eve's part. Listen to her answer. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Lest you die. Can you see what is going on here, congregation? God never said, as far as we know, that they cannot touch the tree. He said that they could not eat of it. Touching is an addition that Eve has made, which means that the trap of the devil is already starting to work. Eve's mind is moving away from what God has said. And that is always the way the devil works, boys and girls. He distorts scriptures. He uh, starts with subtle traps before us, using truth mingled with lies, so we start doubting God's goodness and His Word. We all have heard people say, after all, love is love. So, you shouldn't be putting your noses in what other people say, uh, say or do. Or, other people have told me, love is good. Therefore, to experience sexual love before marriage is very good. Because we love each other. Or maybe a very famous one. Nobody's perfect. Therefore, when I sin, I should not repent. All of those, all of those are half-truths of the devil that just like in the garden, make our hearts doubt about God's goodness and His good design for us. No wonder then the, te- the next thing that the devil says to uh, the, 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 the woman is so daring and so challenging You will not surely die. See, he is challenging God's word. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the culmination of the argument. The serpent is saying, if God is envious of you, he doesn't want you to be like him. But did you notice the missing part, boys and girls? Eve is ignoring that she's already like God. She already resembled him perfectly. She didn't need anything else. She was already a perfect image bearer. And we know, we know the rest of the story, do we not? She ate. She made her husband, who was next to her, by the way, eat of the fruit. And we brought upon ourselves sin and misery. So where does sin, suffering, evil comes from? It comes from ourselves, from our disobedience in the garden. Now, the second thing that the catechism addresses tonight is the extent of sin. That is, how far does sin go? Is it something that is stayed confined in Adam and Eve? Or is it something that extends to others? Does it touch only our souls? Or does it affect the whole of creation? Some in the early church, like a monk, very famous, named Pelagius, you, you may remember the name. Pelagius affirmed that sin was indeed confined only to Adam and Eve. And after they died, their children were born innocent, without sin. Sin, in fact, Pelagius says, is something that we we'll learn later on in our lives. A modern version of this teaching affirms that human beings are basically good. It is society that corrupts human beings. Beware of the teaching, congregation of the Lord, that is a heresy. And it's very far from the scriptures. In fact, uh, Psalm 51.5 affirms, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This, boys and girls, is like saying, from our birth, we are walking dead, to make an allusion to the famous TV show. In fact, there is no better modern analogy than walking dead people, totally depraved, just like zombies. We walk around carrying the disease that has killed us, but we are still moving on. We stink to death. Naturally speaking, we have a spiritual flies around us, and there's no way that we can revive ourselves. It's impossible. When a new baby is born in this world, he or she is already a baby zombie, dead in sins and trespasses. So the extent of sin goes from our first human beings, Adam and Eve, until the last human being. Now, maybe you can say, how can that be? I was not there. And if I would have been there, I would have certainly never eaten of the fruit. Well, you don't know that. But more importantly, the reality is that in the garden, Adam is our representative. As our representative, everything that he did affected the whole human race. And a very good example of that, by the way, is our modern sports teams. If you're a sports fan, uh, chances are that when the Broncos win, then you will say, did you see we won? And we are so close to be champions. Now think about that phrase. Did you actually play it? Are you one of the team members of the Broncos? No, right? And yet you use the phrase, we, we? Uh, we are closer than ever to be champions. We are? But of course, we understand the language, do we not? The Broncos represent the area where we live, where we are from. In that representative sense, they are our team. We belong to that team. It is a good day when they win. It is a really bad day and week when they lose, if you are a fan. In the same way with Adam, when he ate, it's as if all of us ate And The virus was transmitted to us as well. What he did affects all of us. This is covenantal language. Adam was our representative, our champion, and he lost the battle. And in him, we lost the battle as well. His sin was also passed to, imputed to us. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because Adam was our captain, our team, our champion, and he lost, then we also all lost in him. When he sinned, all sinned. And the extent of sin is such that not only we are conceived in sin, uh, but also everything that we do is tainted with that sin. We don't think properly. Because our minds don't work properly because of sin. We don't desire the right things because our wills, our affections are inclined towards all evil. Our bodies decay. They get sick. Your knees hurts. Your back hurts. Your neck hurts. Do you know why? Because we're, our bodies are affected by sin as well. And then we die precisely because sin has centered in this picture of God's good creation. Even creation and the cosmos, animals and everything that exists uh, are, are, have been distorted because of sin. Listen to Paul in Romans eight nineteen, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Even creation is suffering because of sin. So sin is this kind of like a virus, like a parasite that has entered the picture of the world and has distorted everything. If we are like trees then sin is a sickness that makes the tree go bad. It doesn't produce any good fruit. The whole tree is bended towards the other side and is continually decaying, dead and dying. But is that then a true portrayal of our nature? Well, let's move to our third point to consider our brokenness. Listen to the question of the catechism. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Is it really true that we are entirely evil? Aren't Christian and the Heidelberg Catechism authors exaggerating a little bit? Are we not going too far with this? Well, what we need to understand, congregation, is that when the Catechism and the Scriptures speak about good, generally speaking, they are using the term in the moral sense of the world. That is, good that pleases God good that is not stained with sin, good that will make you acceptable before God. So neither Scriptures nor the Catechism are denying that people can actually have a concern for the neighbor or to help someone who is in need from time to time, or uh, nor is negating that people many times act in seemingly selflessness. But what the catechism is affirming is that because we are sinners, because we are spiritual zombies walking dead, then everything that we do is contaminated with evil. Nothing of what we do is seen as moral, perfect good before God. Good that can save us from being dead, from being zombies, and somehow cure us from from being dead. It's impossible. We are beyond that point. In fact, even the good things we do are tainted with sin. This is, in fact, what the scriptures teach. Listen to Genesis 6 5. Every intention, every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And that has not changed. Things have changed, times have changed. We have more technology. Human heart is still the same. Yet, we do good actions but they are filled with pride. Yes, it is true that big companies donate millions upon millions of dollars to charities and good causes, but it's because it benefits them. Yes, people help others because they expect something in return, somehow, at some point, if not immediately. So good actions that are also tainted by sin. But if you notice, the catechism also points to the solution in the same answer. Yes, indeed, We are inclined to all evil, but immediately adds, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And that phrase brings good news to us. We are broken, but we can be repaired. We are dead in sin and trespasses, but we can be revived. Notice also, there is nothing we can do to revive ourselves. We are dead. It is the Holy Spirit who needs to revive us, the Holy Spirit who needs to bring new life to us. And you already know how that works, don't you? God, in His mercies, sent the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who took took upon Himself flesh, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And then He died on the cross in our place. And then He sent His Holy Spirit It is His Spirit that convicts us of sin. It is His Spirit who instills in us new life, washes us with the waters of Jesus' blood and gives us new life. It is His Spirit who gives us a new heart. So in Jesus, we receive not only eternal life, but the capacity, the power to start living, start producing good works, not for our salvation, but because we are already saved and for God's glory. So, in Jesus, by the action of the Holy Spirit, we go from totally depraved people to be saints before God. Total depravity, congregation, and I want you to understand this really well. Total depravity is not something that defines the Christian anymore. What defines us now is who we are in Jesus Christ. Yes, we still sin, yes, we still fail but we also feel bad about it. We repent. The Spirit convicts us of our sin, and we come to Him. And in this way, we discover perhaps a final truth about God, namely that God is not powerless. He is not powerless before sin and evil, but He is putting that evil to an end. He started that process already after the fall, not as a reaction, but as part of His eternal plan. As Frank said this morning. And then he culminated that plan on the cross, where Jesus put out an end principally to sin, the devil, and evil. And he is using and moving history to even now to its final end. One day, congregation, one day, he will remove all trace of evil from the world. And that is our comfort tonight, congregation, that we are walking to a day, and age where suffering, sin, evil, tears, pain, all of that will be no more. May that day come soon. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality of who we are. And we thank you for the reality of what you have done in Jesus Christ for us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that as we uh, look around us and we see evil and sometimes many evil things even in our lives, uh, sufferings and tribulations, that you may help us to understand that one day, one day you will put an end to those and that we will just receive comfort and a consolation from your very hands. So we look forward to that day and we pray, Lord, please come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.